Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites, the official podcast of Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc. On every episode, I talk with health and wellness experts from all over the world, such as doctors, chefs, dietitians, coaches, and many more. And I sit down with them and have casual conversations about plant-based lifestyle, how to elevate our emotional resilience, and what it really means to thrive. And I bring all of this to you. So let's get to this week's episode. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites. I'm your host, Colin Zhu, and thank you for listening in. Tonight, we have a wonderful guest for you today. This is Dr. Yami Kozola Lancaster. Say hi, everyone, Yami. Hello, everybody. <laughs> well, I am so glad for her to be here. We've uh, actually known each other for a little bit, and uh if for those of you guys who do not know who Dr. Yami is, she's a board-certified pediatrician, and uh, she practices out of uh, Yakima, Washington. And um, she is a member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. She's done many, many certifications, um, including the T. Colin Campbell Plant-Based Nutrition, um, and also the Physicians Council for Responsible Medicine Certified Food for Life Instructor. And plus a whole bunch of other certifications. Just she's just very, very, very well learned and well studied, and she has so much to offer for her patients. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This is kind of fun because I interviewed you on my podcast. I don't even remember when it was. It's been a little <laughs> bit. So it's yeah. fun to have the tables turned, and now I get to relax and just uh get to answer questions. So it's kind of fun. I know. I know. It's nice, right? So um, I definitely know what you mean. So um, so we'll start off by saying um, I love learning about people's stories. And you mm-hmm. definitely have a very unique uh, story of how you came from A to B. You know, you started mm-hmm. off as a pediatrician, you have a family, and then somewhere along the way, you've just developed so many different types of Uh, tools in your armamentarium for your patient population, including lifestyle medicine, including, you know, plant-based nutrition. So can you share with the audience, how'd you get from point A to point B? Yeah, sure. So it's a little bit interesting because I've always been interested in nutrition since I was young, but mostly it was because I started dieting at a very Mm. young age. So I started dieting when I was probably around nine years old and I'm one of those people that has probably tried every single diet there is because I was interested in losing weight since I was really little. Mm. But I didn't discover plant-based nutrition until my 30s. So I was already working, practicing as a pediatrician, and I had gotten into long-distance running, so half marathons Mm. and marathons. And then I don't know if you know much about the barefoot running movement. So I kind of got into that for a while. And Mm -hmm. I read a book called Born to Run. Mm -hmm. And in that book, they featured one of the main characters is Scott Jurek, who is a vegan ultra runner and Mm -hmm. has broken lots of records and won all kinds of ultra marathon races and they talk about the population that they center on is called the Tara Umara, who live in the Mexican desert, 
and they are an indigenous tribe of Mexico. And one of the things that they do for fun is run. They run for fun. <laughs> so, and they subsist on a predominantly plant-based diet because they live out in the desert and they don't have access to animal products the majority of the time. Yeah. And so that's one of the things they talk about in the book, and it just really intrigued me. And as a pediatrician, I really was under the impression through my training and through my practice that it was healthier for children to eat meat and to drink milk mm. in order for them to get enough protein and fat for their growth and on all of this. So that's kind of what I had al always believed and always practiced. But whenever I read this book, I don't know, it's like something in my paradigm changed. Mm. And I thought, well, if there's a population of people that live out in the desert and they run all the time, like they're athletic, right. they do it for fun and they're super calm and they're not dead, <laughs> then there's got to be something to this. I don't know. It's like, it's like my brain was like, okay, this is interesting. And I feel like I just got zapped, like this divine intervention, like yeah. just try it. And I was like, well, maybe I should just try it and see what happens. Cause I was genuinely curious. Sure. I was like, what's going to happen to me if I just eat plants? Like what's, how am I going to feel? And so I designed a very simple diet that I decided I was going to do for 30 days and I actually didn't even tell anybody. I didn't even tell my husband. I was just going to do this. So it was very simple. I was just going to have whole grain toast with peanut butter for breakfast and pretty much rice and beans for lunch and dinner. Mm -hmm. And I'm Panamanian. Mm -hmm. So rice and beans is easy. Like that's a staple yeah. growing up. And so yeah. that's not something I was intimidated by. And I knew it was delicious. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this. Within three days, my chronic constipation that I had had my whole life for three decades of my life was cured. And I was having to take a cap full of Miralax every day. Oh my and God. It was, you know, like it was something I lived with. I was told by my family members, everybody has it. This is just the way we are. It's our genes. We're just all constipated. And <laughs> I just thought it was part of my body, you know, and I grew up that way. And within three days I was like pooping. And I just get super excited about talking about poop because yes. like when you, <laughs> spend so many years not pooping and what that feels like. And then you can poop. I mean, it's just like amazing, you know? Yeah. So that happened. And I, of course it's such so, sounds so cliche. I hate saying it because I feel like people think I'm exaggerating, but really I just felt so good and I had so much energy and I was sleeping better and I just felt so much more in control of my appetite and my body. And it was just, really eye-opening for me. Mm. And of course, as the month went on, my 30-day experiment, I met one vegan because it was not even something I had even known what it was before I read this book. You know, I, that wasn't even on my radar. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's another vegan in Yakima. And so she gave me a book called Diet for a New America, The Kind Diet. And of course, I had watched Forks Over Knives, mm -hmm. The Cove, and Earthlings. And by the end of the month, there was no turning back. Yeah. So that was pretty much it. That was your, that was your a yeah. jump start. That was your yeah. inception into, yes. into plant-based. <laughs> yep. And it was pretty much cold Turkey. But the thing is, it wasn't like this feeling of like deprivation. I was so curious and through my exploration and what happened in my body and plus the learning 
it was, that was it. I was convinced and it just didn't feel like I was missing anything. It felt like a whole new, amazing world that I was getting to explore. Mm. Yeah. So there's so many great points to that. Thanks for, thanks for sharing. Um, I, uh, I also, you know, really, I when so when the barefoot running movement came about, um, I also do, I started doing triathlons in 2006, my, towards my last year of college and entering into my first year of me, uh, medical school. And um, I was hooked, you know, just like for you, you know, you know, when you love a certain sport and it, you get that feeling of liberation, you know, for mm -hmm. me, it was, you know, doing that and I transitioned into half marathons and marathons for you. Um, I discovered similar to you, that whole barefoot um, movement when it started, you know, obviously it's not a, you know, brand new concept. It's just something that just came popped up again. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remembering that I transitioned from heel striking to, um, forefoot striking mm -hmm. because before, you know, and I was, I thought it was the shoes. And when I learned about it, um, you know, before I, I transferred my, uh, my, my foot placement, I was having, um, you know, lateral, you know, side knee pain, I was having, you know, some hip issues. And then once I, you know, switched it, I was like, Oh, my God, they completely went away. So mm -hmm. there's, there's something to it. There's something to, you know, that culture and the fact that they can just run miles and miles and miles and they don't have they're not wearing backpacks. They're not hiking. You know what I'm saying? Like they are, you know, trekking these long distances with very, very minimum um, you know, things to consume, you know, mostly plants, you know, like you uh, talked about. So I think that's, you know, amazing. And I love the fact that, you know, you're so bold and saying like, you know, I love pooping because, you know, it, it's just, just a great, uh, great, you know, feeling to have that, you know, catharsis, you know, sort of speak. So <laughs> for real though, <laughs> I mean, like, it's so amazing. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious. So you said that, um, you know, nine years old, you started dieting. So mm -hmm. were you considered or classified as overweight or obese or like, why, why at nine? What happened at nine? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I have to look back at my records and see what my BMI percentile was, because that's how we, you know, categorize it in children. But what happened is, I've always loved food and I've always loved to eat and I've always mm -hmm. been a very hearty eater. And growing up, I didn't have the healthiest diet. I grew up mostly on the standard American diet when mm -hmm. I was in the U.S. I would spend part of my time in Panama every summer. So three months out of the okay. year, I would live in Panama with my grandparents. Panamanian food, even though it's very simple and based, like yeah. a lot of it is plant-based, Okay. We eat a lot of fried food and some of my mm. favorite foods in Panama, because when I, when I would go in the summer, I was basically living with my grandparents and they were taking care of me and my grandma would spoil me and she would make all my favorite foods with a lot of them are like fried plantain and mm -hmm. fried corn fritters. And, you know, so, and I would love to eat. So I did, you know, I was chunky and I was um, a bigger kid, which was fine when I was younger but once I started getting older, the Panamanian culture is very critical of size. So there is mm. a lot of size bias in mm. our culture. And once you hit a certain age, they're very open about telling you. So it was one of those things where I grew up with the comment of like, oh, 
you're so pretty if you'd only just lose weight and you don't want to get too heavy and you shouldn't eat so much. And I started to internalize this Mm. and I developed a desire that I wanted to be thinner. And that became a goal of mine for several decades of my life. Mm. So they they kind of erred on the more of, you know, you need to be thinner as opposed to quote unquote bigger and thick bone, quote unquote. Well, see, that's the thing. When you're little, it's okay to be <laughs> it's okay to be a little chunkier. Right. But once you get to a certain age, especially if you're female, uh-huh. In our culture, yeah. thin is still valued. Thin right. is thin is the value and light skin. Right. But I never cared about the skin thing. I would stay out in the sun till I was purple. <laughs> I never that never bothered me. I was like, whatever. But <laughs> the the being thin, I, I do. I get I get a weird color when I get really dark. Yeah. But it's like purplish. But you but, do love to wear purple too. So I do. That's my favorite colors. Yeah, maybe yeah. there's something. There to you it. go. Yeah, there um, you go. <laughs> so it was it was weird because that the that desire to be thin really just set in to me, and yeah. it's just I couldn't let it go for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, the reason why I say that is because, you know, that's very pervasive in American culture. You know, the Mm -hmm. media is obviously we'd rather, rather you look, you know, thin, a model, you know, emaciated, (laughs) starving basically is, you know, what we want. And uh, the opposite is what we, you know, want to, you know, you know, condemned and stuff. Whereas other cultures like African cultures, they, they value, you know, um, people that are more weight and, you Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? And a little bit thicker. So, so it's always interesting to kind of see different cultural viewpoints. Um, Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Uh, fast forward a little bit into your training and when you were in pediatrics, what was their version of teaching, you know, nutrition, you know, for, um, you know, from anywhere from neonates to infants to toddlers to adolescents? Was it because I, I, have, I you know, I've interviewed a lot of doctors, we all, you know, collectively have, you know, the paucity of nutrition in medical school. But it's, I, I'm curious about, you know, what you, what did you receive in your pediatric training? In residency, there's very little. And what you learn is just what you specifically learn from your attendings or, you know, policy statements, things like that. But I feel like we don't really get great formal training on nutrition, but also the foundation of nutrition. It's like, Mm -hmm. this is the way it's done and they give you a reason, but there's not really physiological explanations. And then that's just passed on from generation of doctor to generation of doctor, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's just every pediatrician knows that children need two to three servings a dairy. I mean, that's just what you do. Mm. (laughs) You know, that's how you get strong bones and Mm -hmm. And, and it's just like this thing that you hear like, oh, well, kids need more fat and all this kind of stuff. And then you just believe it because that's what's taught to you. And then you pass it down to the next generation. I've always been interested in nutrition and, and I would absorb more of that stuff. And I was very interested in helping children with their habits and their eating. But I don't think it was really until I 
acquired and adopted a plant-based diet myself Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that I really started to do it in a way that I feel is more beneficial to my patients. So what about the rest of your family members with uh, your husband and your kids? Were they, you know, uh, (laughs) I guess, receptive, uh, you know, when you made that uh, transition or, you know, what was that like? So it was great. I am very, very lucky. I know I hear from lots of people that don't have the same situation. Mm -hmm. But once I finished my 30 days and I'm like, okay, I'm not going back. This is what I'm going to be going forward. I took one more month to carefully review the literature and determine whether it would be okay. I thought maybe it's, it'll just be okay for my kids to also eat this way. I was surprised when I delved into the literature and found that not only can it be safe, but it can actually help them thrive. Mm. And it was just so mind blowing and eye-opening to me that like, okay, wait a second. This whole time I was under the impression that this was a kind of way of eating that you have to be super scared because you're going to die of a deficiency and it's going to be horrible. And, you know, you have to be like ultra duper, super duper careful. Mm -hmm. But once I really started reading, I'm like, actually, there's so many benefits. The, The benefits are more than anybody had ever told me. And really, as far as like the deficiencies, it's not that scary. Like you can easily manage this. You know, it's not one of those things that you're just going to be like drop dead from a deficiency in a few days, you know? Yeah. So from your experience, um, would you say, would you say that every age uh, bracket, you know, from an infant and going up to adolescence would be, you know, from your point of view, like safe um, in terms of, uh, you know, just incorporating or starting or just having a strong foundation in plant-based? Or would there be certain things to be worried and concerned about? Because, you know, for our audience listeners that are, you know, parents uh, and they're thinking, you know, they're probably already plant-based, but they're probably questioning whether, you know, is this a good idea, you know, to uh, raise my kids like this too? Absolutely. No, I think it's safe and I think it's healthy and I think that it can help children and families thrive. I do think that parents do need to be cautious and make sure that they are getting the proper supplement. And they're not that many. B12 being the most important if you're going to be on a predominantly or completely plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. But also just to ensure that they're doing it in a way where children are consuming sufficient calories, which the majority of the time is not a problem. What happens is some of these cases that we hear in the media... Mm -hmm where there's children that may have been harmed by, quote, a vegan diet, if you really look into these cases, Mm -hmm. these children were not consuming sufficient calories, either because they were mostly drinking juice or raw foods or something where they just were not consuming sufficient calories. Mm. I'm so lucky that my practice, I have my own practice, and I Mm. have a lot of plant-based kids They Mm -hmm. eat a variety of foods and they grow and they thrive and they're doing great. Mm. So I think it's just important to know that you, you know, you do have to be mindful when you feed your children. You can't just, you know, give them apple juice and that's it. You know, like you, you have to really make sure that they're getting a variety of food to get a variety of nutrients in, but it's not as scary as people would think. And it's not as difficult as people would think. And definitely children can thrive on this way of eating. Mm, mm, I love it. 
Yeah. So describe a little bit more about your practice and how, um, you know, what came first, you know, your practice or did veggie fit kits, uh, you know, come after that? Um, of course, you know, you also do, you know, your podcast, you know, you have a whole YouTube channel, like what, what spawned each other? Well, I became plant-based first and that was eight and a half years ago. And then after that, I just felt like I really wanted to get the information out there. First of all, just for my own patients. So at that time, I worked at a community health center and I would tell families about this way of eating and recipes and things like that. But, you know, my appointment times were so short and I didn't have that much time to really get in there and explain things to them. So I decided that I would start a website Mm. so that I can put all this stuff on there. And that's really how it started. And then it evolved into a website where I could help support plant-based parents or even other healthcare practitioners that were concerned because when you come from traditional training and you're told that this is dangerous, mm-hmm. of course you're going to get concerned if you mm-hmm. have a patient that's that says that they don't want to eat an animal product. So mm-hmm. this this kind of evolved into a place where I could support parents, family members, and healthcare practitioners. And so that was probably around six or seven years ago. And four years ago is when I started my own practice called Nourish Wellness. And the mm-hmm. reason I did that was so that I could have more time to mm. sit down with my families. And I do have a pediatric primary care office. So I see bread and butter pediatrics, well child checks and ear infections mm. and mm. all that kind of stuff. Lovely, lovely. But I have enough time to sit down with my families and really in a relaxed manner, discuss diet and lifestyle and really get into it and not feel like I'm rushed and have to run from room to room. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, I mean, I'm similar. You know, I uh, spent the last four years um, as of this podcast uh, as a traveling doc and, you know, practice in different states and uh, and creating the chef doc was creating similar to you, just a, a portal, a, a, a wellness, you know, uh, place to go. And uh, so I totally understand that, you know, you, you want to be able to reach as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure, you know, your, your patients really love you for that. Um, I'm curious. Um, I also just interviewed another pediatrician. Um, she has been practicing, oh, probably over, you know, uh, a, a couple of decades. And uh, she told me that, you know, back in the day, type two diabetes, maybe 20, 30 years ago, you know, didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having that great prevalence of so many children having, uh, type two diabetes, um, what have you found? Um, you know, did they get better from, you know, when you start teaching their, uh, them and their families, the plant-based uh, lifestyle Did they, did they start, start losing weight? Because for my adult, uh, populations, you know, for family practice, you know, they would get better, you know, their blood pressure stabilizes, their cholesterol, uh, uh, you know, regulates or sugars regulate. And we actually have to start de-prescribing medication. So I'm curious to hear, you know, what um, your patients, um, how they've uh, improved. Well, that's a great question. And ironically, so in my previous practice was very different from my current practice. My previous practice, Mm -hmm. I did have a couple of kids that had type two, a, a few kids that had type one, but I didn't have a a lot of kids that had chronic conditions yet, besides just being 
you know, on the heavier side, not eating the proper diet, having chronic abdominal pain, constipation, you know, all of those sort of chronic symptoms, but not yet the metabolic syndromes. So I didn't do Mm. a bunch of that. And then I started my own practice, which I was like, okay, now I'm going to have time to really get in there with people and talk to them Mm -hmm. about all this stuff. And I did not Mm -hmm. anticipate the fact that whenever you start this kind of practice, you tend to attract the health conscious people. (laughs) So so Mm. my practice is actually (laughs) full of super healthy, thriving children who most of them eat either a fully plant-based or predominantly plant-based diet with parents that are very receptive to my suggestions about diet and avoiding dairy and all of these things. But I will say that children are just like adults. So in the the cases that I have had where the families did make dietary changes, things do improve. Constipation improves very rapidly, just like as you saw with Mm -hmm. my own case, with my personal case for kids. Mm -hmm if they are Mm -hmm. willing to make dietary changes, it changes very rapidly. The abdominal pain goes away. Um, They just start Mm -hmm. feeling better and sleeping better. And there's just so many improvements, even behavioral improvements for children. When I see children with autism Mm. and ADHD, that the parents were like, well, that's all they'll eat or they have to eat something. But when I start talking to them about why it's important to optimize the diet and they make dietary changes, we see behavioral problems improve. So things that can make Mm. me like a big deal for parents and a big deal for a kid's life, it can be improved and optimized with diet and lifestyle changes. Yeah, that's awesome because it's, um, it's super important to, to kind of, you know, in a way, you know, when you have your own practice, um, you know, you have certain people gravitate towards you because of how it's almost Mm -hmm. like a style, you know, how you practice. And you're very, uh, that's very, that's a very, you know, uh, population is very unique where, you know, you attract a lot of healthy, Mm -hmm. you know, people. And of course, across the United States, you know, the demographics Mm -hmm. are different. Um, So for, for, um, you know, audience members that come from different states or live in different states and, you know, they tend to have, you know, more um, unhealthy, or in environments, what would you suggest in terms of, you know, transitioning, you know? Like for diet? Yeah, for a plant-based diet. The thing I always like to start with is dairy because I feel like it just is one of the culprits in so many problems when it comes to children. Like I said, the constipation, the chronic abdominal pain, even some autoimmune-like symptoms that some kids have with like joint pains and things like that. So that's what I start Mm. with. And we just go through and say, well, what are you willing to change? And we start making those changes. I think some of them are pretty simple, like going to a plant-based alternative for, you know, putting on your cereal and in your recipes and things like that. That seems to be pretty simple. What people have the most trouble with is the cheese, <laughs> you know, and you probably have mm, that experience too, yeah. is the cheese is like, oh, I yeah. can't get my cheese. Everyone, yeah, everyone, almost every uh, every other episode, it's really, and, and I asked this very similar question to, you know, for those, those of my guests that are providers um, or doctors, 
And uh, I asked him, you know, what is the hardest thing to transition or to get off? And she's has been very, very, you know, top mm-hmm. three of hard yeah. to get off. And so we talk about alternatives, but I also talk to them about how it's not necessary to eat these things and how you can get calcium in other sources and how you can get your bone strong through weight bearing exercise. And so if parents are mm-hmm. willing to give it a try, they usually are able to transition off. And then the next thing is just really, I like to emphasize increasing things rather than cutting things out after that. So how can we get more beans in the diet? Because in the American Mm. culture, we don't tend to use a lot of beans. So families aren't as comfortable cooking beans or using beans Ah, in recipes. So I have to give them ideas or even ways to integrate beans into things that they already cook, like Throw some beans, throw some chickpeas into your pasta or even blend beans into your pasta sauce. That's a really easy way to do it. Everybody likes hummus. That one seems pretty simple. Like I I ask people when I I ask people about beans, they're like, we don't eat that many beans. Like, do you eat hummus? Oh yeah, we love hummus. Okay, just eat more hummus. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Dip. Everybody likes bean burritos. So those are some of the things that are familiar. And then just trying to give ideas of other ways that you can incorporate legumes into your diet. That's the next thing I work on usually. It's um it's it's quite interesting. And it's the same thing for adults too. It's like you know, for people that are not used to eating, you know, I grew up, you know, eating a lot of Chinese Mm -hmm. cuisine and um, our foods are balanced. So we would have vegetables, equal amounts of vegetables to meats to, you know, everything. So when I transitioned to plant-based, you know, five years ago, um, it was, it wasn't that hard, but for those who are more predominant in, um, you know, like this, you know, standard American diet, um, it's, a lot of it, they don't even know. They don't even know what a certain produce, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, like, uh, they don't know what black eyed peas are or asparagus or kale. Like, these things are very, very mm-hmm. foreign to them. Um, and uh, it's interesting how, like, you know, you said a burrito or you said hummus. You know, these are very, you know, familiar and comfort foods type of uh, items. But you just kind of have to mask it and be mm-hmm. creative. Absolutely. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Um, Shifting gears a little bit, um, you know, talking about families and uh, talking about parents, um, and it doesn't have to be plant-based, but what are your observations, um, you know, uh, you know, kind of reaching into, you know, lifestyle medicine? um, What are your observations in terms of, you know, just young parents or starting out families or families that are looking to improve uh, their own lives as well? What would you, you know, tips to kind of give them in terms of, uh, you know, just, you know, from misconceptions of health and wellness, like how would you kind of redirect, like what are the common misconceptions that they go through in raising families and how do you redirect them? Okay. Well, first of all, I would say that parents love their children and parents are doing the best they can with what they have, with whatever learning education experiences they have. And so my goal is to su- support parents wherever they are and help them reach their goals. But 
parents really do love their kids. So I know that they're trying and they're trying their best. I think mm. that if you, if I take everything into account, what's what I really want parents to know is that they have more power than they think in molding their children's habits, in helping set the example that how they want their children to live, what kind of diet they want them to eat, how active mm -hmm. they want to value their sleep. Parents have to take charge of those things. They have to model them and they have to feel like they do have control. Like this is something that they can actually yeah. influence. And when I have parents mm -hmm. that feel like that and have that belief, then I can really see it. When there's parents that feel like their kids are in charge <laughs> and they're just kind of running life based upon what their kids want or desire, mm. then I see a very different picture. But it, it just has to do with health beliefs and how probably those parents were raised and how they right. usually manage things. But I would say take charge and you don't have to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall off the wagon sometimes. And there's going to be weeks that are just going to be like, wow, we ate fast food every night. We didn't sleep enough. Everybody's stressed out. And by the end of the week, we're frazzled. You have a, a week where things just don't go your way. They don't go as planned. You eat out a lot. You don't get enough sleep. Everybody's stressed out. By the end of the week, you're just really frazzled. Just take a step back, evaluate what happened, make some edits, and try again. You don't have to feel like you're a failure because you had a bad week. You don't have to feel like you're a failure because you had a bad month. There, we mm. can always retry. We can always try again a different way. Why was that? Why, why did that week go the way that you didn't plan? What can you change next time to make it easier? Can you learn to batch cook? Can you get a meal delivery service? Can you get a family member mm -hmm. to help? What are some of the things that you mm -hmm. can do to make it easier for you for the habits and the lifestyle that you want to have? So that's what I would say is for parents to be gentle with themselves, feel empowered that they can do this, and to know that you never, ever have to be perfect. I live and breathe lifestyle medicine and I am far from perfect. <laughs> so I'll tell you that I have, I'm like, oh my gosh, guys, it was a tough oh, week yeah, for everybody. Definitely. What can we do this weekend? So that next week will be a little bit easier for us, you know? Yeah. I think the, the, the challenging thing is, um, as much as we want to, you know, better ourselves, we consider ourselves like a failure if we can't mm -hmm, do it perfectly. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we just uh, beat ourselves up. We judge ourselves so much because, you know, we didn't do it to a T. Right. And it's not about that. You know, just like you said, and you said it beautifully is making the small steps and making progress. That's what it really mm -hmm. comes down to. So uh, I love it. So um, this has been awesome. I love to close out by asking my guests, you know, what makes them thrive? Um, I think um, there's a difference when, you know, people state what they do and um, versus what they live for. So for you, what has made you thrive over the years, you know, personally, professionally? Um, and, you know, like, who, who are you at the end of the day? Well, I think there's two things. One of them is I'm persistent and I don't give up. <laughs> 
So, you know, I've suffered in my life from depression and times when mm. I just didn't feel good about myself and about my life. But I knew that there had to be a better way. I knew that there had to be a way that I could feel better and I can accomplish my goals. So that persistence, I think, is really important. But then the second thing that has really changed my life is cognitive behavioral techniques. So learning mm -hmm. how to manage my thoughts and my feelings and believing and practicing influencing those. So how can I start mm -hmm. to change my thoughts so that more control over how I feel? And that has been life-changing for me because once I learned mm. that, it trickles down into everything in my life. Yeah, I definitely hear that. Um, for me, it's uh, went into culinary school in between medical school and residency. I also enrolled myself into a 10-day uh, meditation mm -hmm. retreat. And from there, what I realized was that, you know, in general, we don't really have control of anything in our lives. The only thing we do have control of is really how we react mm -hmm. to, you know, things, you know, that happen outside of us, right? How do we choose to, you know, allow certain life obstacles to come, you know, come either come at us or present it, you know, mm -hmm. for us, you know, in a way. It's all about perspective. So um, I love it. Yami, this has been great. Um, for our audience members that want to look you up further and want to reach out, where can they find well, you? Well, the best place is dryami.com, which is D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. My handle is at the Dr. Yami. And I have a newsletter so that they can sign up on my website if they'd like. But I am active on social media and I love to reach out to people. So on my podcast, I have some videos. I haven't done any new videos in a while, but hopefully I'll get back into that at some point. And so mm -hmm. I'm out there. People can find me. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you it. so much for having me. It was super fun. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, thank you for you guys for listening. This has been another episode of Thrive Bites. Uh, please catch us here weekly. If you like it, please like, follow us and subscribe and please rate us on uh, Apple Podcasts. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Yami. And we will see you on the next one. Hey, guys, that was another episode of Thrive Bites. If you like that episode, please subscribe and follow weekly for new episodes. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.